Chapter 7 of Mighty Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. Mighty Animals by Ginny Irene Mix. Chapter 7 Titanotherus and Others. After the Dinoceras had disappeared from the western part of the United States, there were still many strange animals making their homes in that section of the world, and in no place were they more numerous than the locality in South Dakota now called the Badlands. These lands are well named, for one may walk through them for miles over a floor of rock and see nothing in any direction but other rocks of fantastic shape and wholly bare of vegetation. Yet long ago it was quite different. There were lakes all through this part of Dakota, and in the country around these lakes grew plants of many kinds. The climate was sunny and warm, and in these congenial surroundings lived numberless animals. Among them were some creatures about the size of a Shetland pony, and not at all pleasing in appearance. Their heads were very odd in shape, for in the center of the top was a deep depression, just as there is in a riding saddle, and they all had little stubby knobs sticking up on the tops of their noses. Of course, after a time, these animals died, but they left descendants. These were a little bigger than the first animals, and the knobs on their noses were a little higher. They, in their turn, left descendants, which were still larger, and had knobs on their noses that were still higher, and so these beasts increased in size, generation after generation, until, at last, they reached a point where they were as large as an elephant. By this time they had stout horns a foot high on their noses, instead of little stubby knobs. For thousands of years these big creatures flourished around the Dakota lakes. Then, suddenly, they disappeared completely. A million years or more after this remarkable disappearance, some men who were searching for fossils in the Dakota Badlands came upon the bones of one of these animals near the top of a high bluff. The men were immediately much interested in their discovery for although they were experienced fossil hunters, they had never before seen bones like these. After they had unearthed nearly an entire skeleton, and had sent this skeleton to a museum, where it was taken from the rock, it was seen that a very large animal had been found. So he was named Titanotherium, which means gigantic beast. After this first Titanotherium had been discovered, many fossil hunters from different museums worked industriously to find others, and succeeded even beyond their expectations. Skeletons of these creatures were taken from the bluffs to a depth of 180 feet. Below this depth, other animals were found, which were just like the Titanotherium only of smaller size and with shorter horns. This made the fossil hunters all the more eager to continue their search. The result was that the farther down the bluffs they went, 
the smaller were the skeletons they unearthed. At last, after working for many summers, they came upon the Titanotherium's first ancestor, the small creature with the stubby knobs sticking up on the end of his nose. The name Titanothere was given this entire family of animals, but the larger species of that family still goes by the name of Titanotherium, and fossil hunters are continually working in the Dakota Badlands in the hope of making new discoveries concerning all the different members of this strange family of beasts. It must not be supposed that these different sizes of Titanotheres are found buried in neat layers one below the other. On the contrary, the different layers are often in different bluffs, but the farther down a layer is in a bluff, the smaller are the animals it contains. So it is known that, from the time the Titanotheres first appeared on earth until they disappeared, they made their homes in this part of Dakota. They lived in other parts of that western country also, but not in such large numbers as around the lakes that once made beautiful the now dreary and uninhabited badlands. Tens of thousands of years, yes, perhaps even a million of years, passed between the time when the first Titanotheres lived and the time when the last of the family, the Titanotherium, became extinct. The general estimate is that it takes 996 years for one foot of rock to be formed through the action of water on mud. When we remember that the rocks in which the Titanotherium is found extend to a depth of 180 feet, and that below this 180 feet are many deep layers of rocks containing all the other sizes of Titanotheres, we can gain some faint idea of how long this family of animals lived and we know that they ceased to exist while at the highest point of their growth, because the bones of the largest members of the family are in the upper layer of rocks. But why did the Titanotheres disappear, just at the time when it would seem they were well prepared to hold their own against all odds? This is a question that has puzzled even the most learned among the men who have studied these animals. Some, however, believe that they slowly starved to death. They were plant eaters, and unfortunately for them the climate began to grow cold after they had developed into huge creatures. This meant that the trees and grasses were tougher and less plentiful, and so as the teeth of the Titanotherium were suited only to the crushing of soft and juicy food, this lumbering, slow-witted beast had a hard time of it. Had he been a larger-brained animal, he might gradually have found some new way of feeding himself. But as he had a small, sluggish brain, he was incapable of doing this. So as plants of sturdier growth began to take the place of the tropical food, these poor animals, unable to get enough to nourish their huge bodies, died from weakness. It may have taken many generations for them all to be thus vanquished in life's battle, but their downfall was complete before enough time had passed for them to decrease in size. This may not be the true reason for the disappearance of these animals, while they were at the highest point of their development, but it is the best one so far given by those who have made a study of the subject.
After all the titanotheres were dead, the climate of North America continued to grow colder, but the change was very gradual. The country was still filled with many remarkable animals, among which was the Elotherium, a distant and gigantic relative of the pig. He must have caused terror among the smaller animals, for he was a fierce brute. His head was fully a yard long, and his sharp teeth showed that he lived on both plants and roots. These beasts wandered by the thousands over the plains of Oregon and as far east as the lake region of South Dakota, where once reigned the Titanotherus. If all the animals then living, hideous though they were, had entered a beauty contest, the Elotherium would have stood a good chance of winning the booby prize. Animals something like the living camel and llama were in America in those days, strange though it seems to us now, and fiercest among the flesh-eaters were the saber-toothed cats, some of which were as large as tigers and had canine teeth seven inches long. Many a time must they have crouched in the shadows, their treacherous eyes gleaming as they waited to pounce on their prey, for they were all vicious and ever on the watch to kill. Then also there was a rhinoceros, but it was not much like the rhinoceros of our time. Skeletons of these creatures have been found by the thousands in Kansas, and so grouped as to show that hundreds died together as the result of some terrible disaster. And living as neighbor to all these big animals was the ancestor of the horse, which had gained in size since the time of the titanotheres, but which still did not look as though he would some day become the most beautiful and valuable animal in the world. Nor was America the only country inhabited by queer animals during this period in the Earth's history. Some very remarkable creatures were then living in Egypt. One of them was the largest mammal of his time. No one ever heard of this beast until 1902, when his bones were found near the palace in which the Egyptian princess, Arsino, sister of Cleopatra, used to live, the man who found these bones decided he would name the creature himself. So he added the word therium, parentheses beast, close parentheses, to Arsino, and made the name Arsinoetherium. If Arsino had been living, he would never have dared do such a thing. For what princess would tolerate having as a namesake an animal over five feet tall, with a short neck, long legs, broad thick feet, two high broad horns sticking out from his face, and two more short horns above them? But when the Arsinoetherium was alive, there had never been a princess on earth. The pyramids of Egypt seem so old to us we are awed when we think of them. Yet the Arsinoetherium lived hundreds of thousands of years before the pyramids were built. His bones now lie in the desert, but in his lifetime that same locality was a fertile country and the home of many kinds of animals, most of which were probably his enemies. There were gigantic tortoises, snakes fully sixty feet in length, ostrich-like birds, big crocodiles, river turtles, sea snakes and whales, as well as some very peculiar beasts which were among the first ancestors of the elephant. 
although they were but little like the elephants with which we are familiar. In the course of time, many of these animals entirely disappeared, and nothing like them has ever since been seen. Others slowly changed in form and developed in size until they became so powerful that they in their turn were the rulers of the earth, just as many other mighty creatures had been before them. End of chapter 7 Recording by James O'Connor Randolph, Massachusetts, November 2010